Hey, cats and kids, this is the Midnight Swinger, and you're listening to the wonderful, the one and only outrageous PS Tape Recorder. I'm P.F. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, Beaumont, Texas's funniest son, Slade Ham. And then I went into radio for a while and ended up moonlighting as a bartender at a comedy club. And it was just sort of this natural, wow, there's an open mic. I got a bunch of stuff I wrote down forever ago. We are more from Slade in just a few minutes. It's the return of I Thought It Was Funny and a brand new track from our close personal friend, Mike Travers. You'll hear that in just a little bit as well. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. The Western news media has been duped again by reports about North Korea. A few weeks back, it was reported that North Korean leader Kim Il-jong had ordered all men in this country to get their hair cut exactly like his. This has turned out to be erroneous, although the news did inspire Russian leader Vladimir Putin to require all men in his country to walk around with their shirts off. Governor Chris Christie's office has concluded an investigation into the bridge scandal, and to no one's surprise, it exonerated Christie of any wrongdoing. The governor personally oversaw the investigation and left no cupcake unturned. Starbucks continues to open new locations across North America, even as experts fear the coffee giant may be reaching the saturation point. Company officials also announced that the new locations will have a venti opening. The IRS is warning consumers to avoid being taken by scammers posing as representatives of the tax agency. The IRS says to be weary of phone calls from people with common surnames like Smith or Jones, uh, those who use threatening tactics or speak in a foreign accent, even if they can fix your computer. Two of the top films at the box office last week were Noah and Muppets Most Wanted. The studios behind those two films are already discussing a combined sequel in which Noah rescues the Muppets. Josh Radner had known since the first season of How I Met Your Mother how the series would end. So when fans took to Christy Mialotti, who played the mother, Radner, who played Ted Mosby, wanted to make sure the producers were still going to end the series with a twist. Said Radner, quote, especially after Kristen because she was so wonderful and the fans seemed to really take to her. So I asked them, are you guys still going to do that? And they said, yeah, he told Vulture magazine. An alternate ending had Ted Mosby telling the story to Suzanne Plachette. A police investigation may never determine the reason why the Malaysia Airlines jetliner disappeared, said officials in Kuala Lumpur. So everyone just gather your stuff and go on home. We'll let you know if we find out anything, okay? And finally, the divorce of Russian President Vladimir Putin and his wife, Lumadila, has been finalized, the Kremlin confirmed, according to news reports. The couple announced last June that they were ending their 30-year marriage after sensing Obama's weakness. And that's been Fake News with me. for another installment of I Thought It Was Funny. Okay, so, you know, we had the whole uh, blow-up with Stephen Colbert uh, late last week. Uh, they had taken a, a tweet, the Comedy Central Promotions Department, and they taken actually just the punchline of a bit he was doing and released it as a tweet, and uh, it involved uh, this over-the-top character he does that, of course, makes fun of people that think uh, racial stereotypes are funny. And it's a concept that's for hard for people to wrap their head around. But anyway, so his tweet was uh, in, in, it was a punchline to a bit about 
uh, Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington football team, uh, as he was going to start this foundation for American Indians, uh, even though it has Redskins right in the name. is the Washington Redskins Foundation, I think, for first Americans or something like that. And so, of course, there was a big funny bit on Colbert about that. And one of the punchlines was that he was, that Stephen was going to start a foundation for Asians based on this over-the-top character he does. And that was supposed to be the joke, that he didn't get it either how dumb. Okay, so anyway, I should have to explain. You guys are all smart. So anyway, of course, everybody jumped on this thing, including Michelle Malkin. Yes, wrote this whole uh, whole essay about uh, why liberals are the real racists. And it's all based on the fact that she doesn't understand comedy. And that's kind of a debate we have. I teach a class in comedy to young people. And, you know, that's a thing you kind of have to decide. Uh, one thing I teach, there's certain comedy formulas, and one of the formulas is the uh, punchline uh, should be greater than the setup. And and sometimes it's not, and a lot of times when you're talking about racial stereotypes and things like that, uh, no matter how good a punchline you have, if they're running, going from a, a stereotype or, or something like that, then it's probably not going to be funny. But, you know, sometimes it can be. It's just very difficult to do. So anyway... The fact that Michelle Malkin doesn't understand comedy and doesn't understand that this tweet was just the punchline to a setup about someone who was being insensitive to Native Americans uh, completely blew past her. Now, she did make a point. <laughs> she was trying to say that uh, liberals in Hollywood uh, you know, are always dealing in racial stereotypes like, like Long Duck Dong from Sixteen Candles. Uh, yes, in retrospect, maybe not as funny as it was back in 1984. But wow, way to use a 30-year-old movie to make your point about Stephen Colbert, who's making comedy in 2014. All right, so you know the, the other thing that I, I find hilarious is the fact that uh, you know Michelle Malkin is all like it, and I should say she is an Asian American woman, and of course, I guess that's why she kind of partially led the uh, the charge on this. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I guess some um, you know conservatives do have the moral high ground when it comes to dealing in racial stereotypes. You would never catch one of them uh, doing something like that. Thank you, Mr. Limbaugh, for that. Yes, indeed. Uh, yes, conservatives, you do have the moral high ground on racial stereotypes. Uh, Stephen Colbert owes you all an apology. Um, well, I guess, you know, you could look at it uh, this way. Uh, at least Michelle Malkin is uh, disproving the stereotype that all Asians are smart and analytical. I thought it was funny. Slade Ham is a stand-up comedian from Beaumont, Texas. He started out in radio and then switched to stand-up comedy. He told us all about it in our interview. down in a warm little San Antonio right now. You're down where? San Antonio, Texas. Oh, I love San Antonio. Yeah, my brother-in-law lives there. It's uh, not a bad place. In fact, my fantasy football team is called the San Antonio Lawmen. <laughs> you know what? They need uh, some professional sports love, I guess, even if it is just in the fantasy world. Well, my, my reason being that if I were ever to ha have a football team, that's the place I would put it because it's a, the, probably the biggest city that doesn't have uh, an NFL team, although my brother-in-law insists they would not support it, which I, I'm not sure is accurate. 
You know, it's a, it's an interesting thing though. I don't know that they I don't know that they would. This this city is so split between Dallas and Houston and their football loyalties right now. Yeah, that it's uh, I I don't know if they'd rally. But t- people are fickle about football in uh, Texas. They once they, once they like their team. It's we even had it in Houston with um a lot of Dallas fans. Houston's had a team for over a decade now, and you got people that won't. The just because, oh well, we fell in love with Dallas after the Oilers left, and uh, I don't yeah. understand that. I, I don't mm. care who the who the Dallas Cowboys play; those guys could play Al Qaeda, and I would pull against them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange because um, uh, I know the the uh, CFL team was there drew thirty thousand, and uh, it's funny you should talk the the Dallas thing. I was speaking to Brett Ernst uh, last week, and he's a huge Cowboys fan. But only mm-hmm. because he thought his father was a Cowboys fan. His dad was only a Cowboys fan because he was betting on the game. He didn't even like football. <laughs> but that's all it took. That's all it took. And Brett's a, a lifelong Cowboys fan because he just got so engrossed. There's, I guess, once there's a certain point you reach. I guess, like I'm a, um, I'm from Cleveland, but we don't have a hockey team. My team is the St. Louis Blues. So even if mm-hmm. Cleveland got an NHL team, or if the Blue Jacks moved to Cleveland or whatever. I don't think I could root for them over the Blues. I guess there's that certain point you just reached that you, you there's no going back. And that's that's what I think's happened to San Antonio. They haven't had an identity for so long that they've just latched onto everybody else. And it's, it's you know I don't know population wise they could support it, but oh definitely yeah. And uh, and I guess it's, it's another one of those cases like a lot of southern cities is that people are from other places. Like my brother-in-law's from Cleveland down there, and uh, I think his wife is from uh, California. So um. it is fascinating. There's a uh, you usually uh, get a vibe for. Sometimes you'll ask a crowd, you know, hey, who's from, who's actually from here? Who's you know who's visiting? And San Antonio seems to be one of those places where almost everyone is visiting, yeah. or from somewhere else. Yeah, it's a cool town, though. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it works. So, uh, but Minneapolis, <laughs> I'm sitting out promoting my show in San Antonio. Everybody should come see me in San Antonio. There tonight. you go. Yeah, it'd be even better. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it, it, Minneapolis, as I pointed out many times before, I've been to once for an hour in the airport. Really? Yeah. That is, I think my that is a I might have had a two hour layover there. Might have been my longest. Uh, my longest stay. But I've heard great things, and I would like to uh, spend more time. In fact, we um, we have to connect there a lot of times because we no longer have a hub in Cincinnati. Well, we do and we don't. Uh, we used to have a huge hub here in Cincinnati. It is now mostly, uh, if you're, you have to connect somewhere if you're going somewhere cool. Uh, and that is either Minneapolis or Detroit. And um, I would you know like to spend some time in Minneapolis sometime, that being the case, but... Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, well, you know, just, just coming from Texas, the, the cool weather... Uh, probably would it would take me about two days to get tired of it, but it seems like such a welcome respite from you know our typical Texas heat. Yep. Now you born and bred in Texas? Yes, I am a uh, I am a natural citizen of the the Republic of Texas. And uh, <laughs> it, it, where are you from originally in Texas? A uh, little town called Beaumont. Um, oh, you are from Beaumont. Very, okay. Uh, not, not, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I used to, I didn't claim it for reasons uh, before because no one knew where it was. I'd always say Houston. It's uh, on the Gulf Coast. They're east of Houston. Yes, you know, you do know where it is. <laughs> I'm a geography <laughs> it puts nerd. you in a very small subcategory hmm. of uh, people. <laughs> it's made, it's just, but it's an oil and gas town. You know, everybody, everybody goes to school. They graduate. They go get a job in the plants. They have, they pop out four kids. They get a nice little ranch style home, and they. They lived the rest of their lives, and it was it was home for me for thirty years. I owned a comedy club there for five of those years. Oh wow! And when it closed down, 
you know, I made the jump. So I went to LA for is I mean, a long convoluted story, but I went to LA for a couple of months. My dad passed away. I ended up back in Houston with family and it's just sort of stuck. Wow. So you, were you interested in being a comedian when you were younger or did do you, we were like an entrepreneur and thought, I know funny people, I could probably put together a club. How did that all come about? You know, the transition was bizarre. I, I, I think I knew I wanted to be a comedian before I knew I wanted to be a comedian. I, I, I used to wake up even when I was in, when I was in when I was in middle school. I guess I was uh, I went to a predominantly black middle school, and humor was my way of not getting my ass kicked. I was a guy, <clears throat> excuse me. I was a guy who I had all the your mama jokes memorized. I wrote some of my own. I would sit at the table and oh man, get the white get, get the white dude back over here. And then I would you know I was that guy, and everybody loved me, and that was my that was my weapon. So I would wake up. At night, my, you know, my mom was a school teacher, so we would all. She raised the four, me and my three brothers. You know, single parent. It was a. We were always in bed by eight or nine or whatever, so she could get up early and we could get up early. And I would get up and sneak into the living room and turn the volume on one and watch A and E's Evening at the Improv when I was, you know, middle school and into early high school. And I would write down all these jokes that I heard these comics say, and then I would take them to school and pretend they were all mine. That was yeah. hilarious. Um. And it was, that's probably where I was watching so much comedy as a kid. And then I went into radio for a while and ended up moonlighting as a bartender at a comedy club. And it was just sort of this natural, wow, there's an open mic. I got a bunch of stuff I wrote down forever ago and tried it, fell in love. And here we are 15 years later. So do you think the, uh, the I guess the jokes that you were writing then, that I'm always curious, did that really inform your humor, or has it changed over the years? Because I pretty much like the same stuff. It's like music. I like the this, this stuff I like when I was young. I basically like stuff that makes fun of other stuff, and that's always kind of stuck. That's what the, the podcast is about and all that. Did, did that happen for you? I know some guys change and like to tell more personal stories after a while. They get away from jokey jokes. Uh, how did yours evolve? It, mine definitely, definitely started out in more of a jokey joke format. Now I'm much more of a storyteller, and I have so much of that personal stuff that, you know, this is, this is my way to get out. But it's kind of like the way I would, to, to use your metaphor musically, the, it would be like loving um, a certain genre, loving country music simply because you only heard country music, and that's all you knew existed. And then somewhere in there, you're like, wait, I really like music. Let's see what's out there. And then you listen to Zeppelin, and then you listen to Muddy Waters. You go, oh, my God, there's so much other stuff to choose from. And it doesn't mean that you know, the country you were listening to was bad. It just means that you, you, you had so many other things to pick from when it came to developing your style. And that's kind of what happened with me was the stuff I started with. I started with just because I didn't know anything else. And then you start to see other guys work and you start to really dig into the, you know, even the older Pryor and Cosby and some of those guys that were such fantastic storytellers that I, I didn't necessarily start with. I mean, I got there quickly, but, I, you know, it was that, that 80s style A&E's Evening at the Improv kind of comedy, Caroline's Comedy Hour, those guys that were doing just a lot of the setup punch. But then, then you could almost hear the, the, the cymbal hit, you know? And yeah. it's uh, the more you watch and the more you know, you just realize that you have, there's so many other styles and I've kind of fallen into this. It's easier for me to be me when I'm telling stories. Aha. Uh-huh. So how did you wind up in radio? Uh, it was a, <laughs> I, I was, I was right after high school. I had, uh, that was one of those things. No, I graduated in 94, I'm 37 years old. And 
back then, you, I didn't know how to get the radio. I was like, I mean, I'm going to go to college for it, whatever. But in my hometown, you know, those guys were rock stars, the DJs, the 7 to Midnight guys, and the guy doing the top 8 at 8. And I remember wanting to be that so bad. And I was working at Best Buy selling CDs. And all the DJs used to come in from the radio. So everything was still on disc back then. So when a CD would scratch or something would mess up, they'd always come in to pick up a quick copy so that they had it at the station. And I was always their go-to. And if we didn't have it at the, you know, I got really good about it. It's sneaky, but if they came in looking for something, I'd make sure we didn't have it. But I was like, I have it in my personal collection. I can bring it to you at the station tonight. So I kind of forged these friendships with these guys. And I ended up getting hired finally after just applying and applying and applying. They mercifully were like, all right, man, you can be a board op for the Rick D show, which meant basically get the six, five or six o'clock on a Sunday morning. And you just put the CD in and wait and then play the commercials and then wait. And it's, it's a nothing job, but it had me in the radio business. And, and you got there, exposed to somebody who wasn't funny. <laughs> and you got exposed to somebody who wasn't funny. Yes. <laughs> Poor Rick. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was pretty fascinating though, and I would I would pick the lock on the uh, production room door and make my own air checks and send them to the station across town. Oh, okay. I got hired for my first shift. So. All right. Yeah, I got the extensive radio training of this button uh, turns the microphone on, this button stops the music. Uh, don't mess up. I'll be in my office listening, and uh, that was my that was my formal training. I had to go to four years of college to learn all that, and it explains why <laughs> why we're here right now doing this. <laughs> it's so much simpler than they make you think it is. Yeah, it it, it it true. But then again, it's it's weird. People thought I had a talent for it because they always asked me to do like you know the uh, the the premium shifts and stuff, and and other people they did not. So I mean, although uh, my wife had a pretty good show, actually, right? I think she my wife had a pretty good show. I think she uh, kind of um, didn't realize how much talent she had because she had a great show and she had a great voice for radio, and but she never pursued it. Really? Yeah. It's it's always it's, and it's so sad now that it's become such a, a honestly dying medium. Fortunately, podcasts have kind of taken over, and there's there's some other options for guys that are great behind a microphone. But terrestrial radio is, I mean, the clear channels of this world just sort of came in and gutted it and voice tracked us all. And yep, you know, well, it's the same. I uh, I teach podcasting to uh, I teach two uh, different classes to to gifted kids on Saturdays and one is uh, comedy writing and the other is podcasting which I'm we're now in the third uh, version of and uh, yeah I told the students I, said, I rarely listen to the radio live now everything I listen to it's like TV the DVR I don't listen to car talk live anymore I just listen to the podcast the only thing I listen to live is the news or uh, sports and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it, it, I think it's I think it's a beautiful shift in the way things have worked because you're not. I mean, there used to be the the, the drive time used to matter. Yeah. You know, it was seven thirty in the morning or whatever. You you tried to keep those people in the car till late, and all of that was so important. And now you just stop and start again at your leisure, and I think it's fantastic. I've been I host a podcast called The Whiskey Brothers. Uh, with, with, I mean, we're three hundred episodes, three years in. And it's we run it in that radio format. Every episode is between fifty nine minutes and an hour, and I still stick to the sort of you know the the basic clocks, and that's that's old muscle. But the 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 cool part is it's a people you don't have to squeeze everything in before they jump out of their car. You have them yeah. indefinitely. That's true. Yeah, you don't don't feel as rushed. It's uh yeah, it's, it's I think it's great. Problem. Mm. The, the, I guess the downside of that is everybody has a microphone now. They so there's <laughs> a lot of jump to sister. Yeah, and it's you know it, it is true though. I think in some ways there's still 
I still think the cream kind of does rise to the top because there are a lot of, um, you know, bad ones out there and, you know, people that think they're going to open up a microphone and be hilarious by themselves. And, of course, they're not. <laughs> but that being said, there's a lot of people that I think are at least good and that, like you said, you know, I mean, everyone can do, I think, a fairly decent job. A little bit of practice, absolutely anybody can do this, I feel. Yeah, and I, I think, and I think the trade-off is, I think the trade-off is worth it. I think it's, I would rather sift through some garbage in, in exchange for finding these kids that never would have had a voice before. And yeah. it's, some of the music podcasts, a lot of the comedy stuff. I mean, it's just, you just go, wow, nobody ever, I've never heard this guy's opinion had this not been a medium. Yeah, and plus you can find someone that fits right into your wheelhouse, or maybe find something you know that you would never would have heard of before. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how uh, twisted your your specific niche is. <laughs> There's something for everyone. Yeah, and that the only rules I have for my students is your podcast has to be about something, and that sounds obvious, but you would be surprised how many people have a podcast. Some people just turn it on and talk. Yeah, but even in that, yeah. like like the forty year old boy. That's still that's still about something. It's about him telling these stories from his life. So it's still about something, even though it's just him. But he's one. He's a very. That's uh, Mike Schmidt, by the way, for folks listening out uh-huh. there. He. Um, that's a very rare talent that someone can open up the mic like that and just talk. I mean, even all the other ones, uh, Pardo, Marin, they're still having a conversation with people. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Mar- Marin is such a just such a front runner. I mean, it's the foundation he kind of laid. I mean, I guess he started in what 2006 with WTF. But it's a, it is, he, he very quickly turned this into, this is the place you come to talk about. It, it doesn't have to be punchy. This, I mean, uh, Todd Glass came out on that podcast. Yes. That's huge. Yep. And that's, that's kind of, it's, it's a good place to unload that whole darker side that I think comics have. It's a, it's, we're very, we're very pigeonholed. I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of musician friends that, very successful, but we always laugh. I, I, the the conversation, my friend Kevin and I always talk about how I think musicians all want to be comedians. If you watch their banter between songs, sometimes they're oh, always yeah. trying to, to get that that laugh and that reaction from the crowd. And comics, I think, all want to be rock stars because that's a it's a medium that allows you to explore all these different emotions. Comedy is, I mean, you're I want to see the pigeonhole, but even when you're trying to be serious or even when you're trying to make a point or even when you're trying to talk about something sad or whatever else, you still got to make it funny. And that's a, that's an interest. It's an interesting thing about standup that you only get that one emotion. So that's, that's why I think WTF is really cool. You can see really funny guys not having to be really funny. There's, you get to see all the other wheels turn. Yep. And it's, and yet it's still funny, you know, because the, the humor, yeah, humor, but you the pressure's off, you know, right. And then, of course, the flip side of that is all uh, comedians secretly want to be rock stars. Yes. <laughs> we really do, man. Yeah. I want to be a tamborinist. So, <laughs> so you uh, are in radio for a little bit. How does the comedy club uh, get started? It was like, like all radio stations. I, we were bought by a larger uh, clear channel. And they came in and, they, you know, they got everything and stations sell. And you, you just look up one morning. I was in... Uh, I was in Mexico and I came home and the station was dark. Like I got off, I got back in my car and we got back in the country and I turned on the radio. I was like, that's really weird. We're off the air. And I was thinking I had to go <laughs> solve a problem or fix something. Or, yeah. And we weren't a station anymore. <laughs> and uh, my business, my, my, my co-host on the morning show at the time and I, 
kind of uh, just that, wow, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, we could start hosting comedy shows and you could sell sponsorships on those. And it was just this weird sort of backroom conversation that turned into a full-blown brick-and-mortar comedy club a year later. And uh, it, was, it was great. It was it was wildly successful. It put me in a comedy club for you know 52 weeks a year. And then five years later, that same guy that helped me build it all came down with a Coke problem and I lost all my money. And it was, it was wonderful. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> How a lot of show business stories end. You know, it's it's. Uh, but I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be where I am right now. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. It opened you up to you know, it's got a blessing in disguise, certainly, because now you're you know able to be a touring stand-up comedian, and um, there you have it. It is. I've I've been I've done 26 countries since then, wow. and you know, I'd still be sitting in this same stupid redneck hometown had I not. Yeah. So what kind of things do you talk about on stage these days? Is it stories from your life? Is it uh, observational stories from your life? Or how, how does that break down? There's, I, I live a, I live, I live my life very, I don't want to say fast and hard, but it's a, I think I'm going to sum this up. Uh, I tell a lot of stories that reflect my, my tendency to distract myself from the everyday. I, I think we are, I think, I, I think if you look at life, on a basic level, it sucks. Um, just on, on like the default setting, you wake up in the morning, we have bills to pay and you've got a job you have to go to. And you, some people got kids screaming in the background and taxes to pay and your car note and your house note. How's this going to get handled? Just the basic stuff we have to do just to survive. It's really a pretty crappy hand. And I, I deal with it the same way I deal with like a problem in my car, right? Okay, my car is just going to suck. I just turn the radio up and I can't hear it anymore yes. and it's not a problem anymore. That's what I do. And that's, that's a, it's, it's very, oh, what, TV joints are a little freaky? Nope, not anymore. Look, more Zeppelin. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I do with my life. I, I, I hang with people that, that do amazing things and, and get out and live, and I try and do so, you know, the same or vicariously through them, or I travel or I see places, and I, I just keep the volume of my life turned up so loud that I don't really hear the creaks and crappy engine underneath it all. And, you know, I talk about that. I, 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 there's a seven-minute story in my set about a night a friend, of mine, uh, a friend of mine and I fought a midget, and it's, <laughs> it's real. It's very real. <laughs> you know, but I, I've also been arrested, and I've I've been to so many different places and there's stories from the Middle East and there, I mean, it's, it's just a bit of a fun ride. I never really know what the show is going to turn into um, until I get up there. There's, there's all these stories and sometimes the crowd, you just look at me and you go, Oh, you guys would never go with me on this one, but you'll love this. And there we go. Cool. Sounds like a good time, man. It's uh yeah, it's, it's, we, I think Chuck, it's a Chuck Palenia quote, but uh, he said, we must never be boring. He said, God watches us, and he kills us when we're boring. Yeah, and I believe go. that. All right. Well, cool, man. Well, have a good time in Minneapolis. Uh, thanks for taking the time for being on the show, too. Appreciate that. Absolutely. And we will link to your podcast as well from our page. And uh, good luck to you, man. Hopefully we'll get you here in Cincinnati sometime soon as well. I definitely appreciate it, man. I definitely need to make it back out that way. All right, cool. Thanks, man. All right, have a great day. All right, bye-bye. Thanks again to Slade Ham for being on the show. You can catch Slade at the Joke Joint in Minneapolis 
April 10th through the 12th. And then he's at Looney's in Colorado Springs. That is April 24th through April 26th. And then he's up in Canada for a couple of weeks as well. For all things Slade Ham, you can simply go to sladeham.com. All right. Well, uh, we have a, a new track to play for you by a personal friend of the show, Mike Travers. You've uh, heard Mike on here before. Uh, he's also worked with Andy Hawk. Oh, and by the way, Mike has produced and directed a video for Andy's new single. We will hear Andy's new single next week. Uh, it'll be the hottest track in the world uh, on PS Tape Recorder next week. Right now, we're going to hear Mike's new tune. A bit of a more serious one, but uh, slightly darkly humorous. Uh, You'll see what I mean. He was inspired by the passing of his parents. I don't know uh, when you grew up, if you, uh, in the circle of friends you hung out with, there was always that one set of parents that were kind of like the Cunninghams. And uh, uh, for my wife, it was actually her parents and her group of friends. Everybody loves uh, that one set of parents. And uh, and certainly for Mike's folks, uh, that was the case for us hanging out. Uh, I was very close to them when I lived in Pittsburgh. Uh, Great, great people. Passed within about a month of each other. And uh, it was very tough, of course, uh, on Mike and his brother and sister. And uh, it inspired him to write this song called Cancer Sucks. Shouldn't have to shower while you're grieving. Shouldn't have to go to school. Shouldn't have to write out any thank you notes. Already know what they did was cool. You shouldn't have to pay your bills while you are grieving. You shouldn't have to go to work. You shouldn't have to deal with the crying baby. Being an insensitive jerk Losing someone that is close to you Feels like getting hit by a truck That's a bad analogy If they actually died getting hit by one But like they say Bad analogy 
it may actually end up with something involving the butt. But like they say, cancer sucks. And like they say, cancer sucks. And like they say. Mike Travers, Cancer Sucks. Boy, the best songs uh, really come from something real, come from a real place, don't they? And, and of course, the same thing with comedy. Uh, all right, well, uh, the usual credits, of course, like this uh, podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66. Uh, go to our Podbean page for all the uh, links that you will need, including a link to, we'll have the video, uh, link to the video for Andy Hawk and Trainwreck Endings, video produced by Mike Travers. So uh, look for that. Uh, let me see. Oh, logo uh, designed by Dan Coble. Follow him at Tigerdactyl on Twitter if you would be so kind. Dan and Logan's podcast, Magic Potion, can be found in iTunes. Music for PF's tape recorder was composed and performed by John Veropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. Uh, again, next week, we will have uh, guest J.R. Brow, another Texas comedian, two in a row. And uh, we'll have the hottest record in the world, uh, the new single from Andy Hawk and Trainwreck Ennings. But until then, so long and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.